Welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This is Jonathan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aman. What is up, everyone? And this is a sort of a special episode for us, um, featuring an interview with three-time Grand Clash winner and competitive UK player, John Winrees. Unfortunately, Aman is not here for this interview because he was actually on a plane flying to the Nova Open. That's right. So it'll just be me and John, um, and I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Thanks. All right, and this is Jonathan, and I am here with John Reese. And welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Cool. Thanks for having me on. It's really cool to be asked on because i know well, i've been trying to organize it but i am like a very difficult person to catch because of my schedule so yeah unfortunately aman wasn't able to be here because he is actually on a plane right now heading to the nova open and i've just been so busy as well with trying to do make a website which is a giant way more work than i thought it would be as well as all of the other things that we do so <laughs> i'm glad we were finally able to get you here in this, this yeah because it's funny we all got confused about when nova was because we all thought it was last week and then it turns out it was this week so it's fine <laughs> yeah i don't think we really even know what day it is anymore so no problem um well i'm sure it's kind of funny i'm sure everyone knows of you um you are probably widely considered to be one of the best if not the best underworlds player um, or the worst, considering if, who he used to be. <laughs> I, I know Ahmad is the second best. That's what I like to call him. <laughs> he constantly gets second place. But um, he'll win one day, hopefully Nova. I know, I know. I, I keep uh, I keep joking with him about that, but um, I, I think he can do it. So um, hopefully, it'll be exciting to see what happens. But for um, this conversation, why don't you introduce yourself to anyone that might not know who you are um, and just a little bit about you and uh, what you like about this game. Cool. So my name's John. I run the blog canyourollacrit.com. Uh, I've been playing the game since it came out and uh i, I hit it's really weird I, I haven't played well i usually play games competitively but not too competitively competitively but underworlds is the first game i fully embraced um so I, I i think the first tournament i went to was two weeks no three weeks after the game came out uh but since then i've been playing hitting the scene and then after the first grand clash i went to which is the second uh grand clash in the uk which was the warhammer world april grand clash uh i decided to well i was going to do a blog before then but uh making websites is annoyingly complex uh so i launched it after uh just because i wanted to help people um with the game because i've I've realized i'd learned so much through who i played with and who i play against in my local scene that i thought if i can just help people realize the deeper mechanics and stuff about the game then it can help everyone get better uh because um I was quite good at the well. I, yeah, I was quite good at the game at the time because I managed to come eleventh out of I think eighty uh, for the first Grand Clash. Um, yeah. Uh, cause was, uh, and then since then, I just wanted to help people because there's so much depth to the game that you won't realize just by reading the rules. 
even like playing a few games you'll miss out so much so since then i've been always trying to help people get better at the game as well as just charting my progress so you there's generally something for everyone on my website yeah i i would want to thank you because when i started this i i started playing this game um basically right after uh nightbolt came out um Mm. i pre-ordered it i bought the most of the shade spire stuff and then um, just kind of dove in to my local scene. Um, and, and I would definitely say that one of the things that really helped me was reading a lot of the stuff on your blog. At the time, it was right before the Banded Restricted. And so you had your Super Scritch deck. And that was quite a lot of fun for me as a new player to put together and sort of start to realize all the different like co- card combos and different strategies with that because I wouldn't say that that's an easy deck to play um but it has it sort of opened my eyes to the like possibility um of the game and I'm sure that uh you know you've helped many many other people uh, as well so I I really appreciate the effort that you put into that and that's sort of I I don't think it would be uh, an exaggeration to say that um, you've probably started, you know, gotten a lot and other other people started um, as far as building the community as well, myself included. So. Oh, thanks. Oh, that's, that, that's all I really wanted to do because um, for me, there's, uh, I, there's, there's, well, I like to say there's only so much winning can do. So as long as I'm helping to grow the scene, that's the main thing because you can't win a scene that's dead. So it's more important for me to grow uh, the whole scene as a whole instead of like because uh, it's kind of like based off of how I approached because I had I have a long experience with fighting games um, so you had like two train well you had two main trains of thought so you had like the Japanese scene where the people have been playing for like 30 years um, who were like amazing at the game but they would always tell you all their secrets and tips and tricks and how to win and like how to watch out for these mechanics and play around that because their mentality is if everyone knows everything, then you have to play harder because everyone will know your tricks and little secrets. So you have to be, you would have, to, if everyone has access to the same tools, it raises up the playing field as a whole. Uh, but then if you went, if you looked at more like uh, the rest of the world scene, like the American and to an extent the UK scene, people generally try and keep stuff secret. They'll keep tech uh, and the way they play to try and surprise you. But the problem with that, it's very, limiting and it can be quite damaging as well because you may have found something out and you keep it secret but then there's the, there's a chance someone has done exactly the same thing so when you try and surprise them they'll go oh i know what he's doing because i figured it out as well um, sure. so i think it's always more beneficial just to help everyone instead of trying to hide stuff and keep it as a surprise which has been happening at occasional points in the game sure. uh, but but yeah i think it it's really important to grow the scene just in general anyone anywhere i can so yeah yeah i mean the better the the way that i've always looked at it is you know first of all you need someone to play against (laughs) you know you need people and the more people that you have to play against the better and on top of that ideally i want every game that i play to be as difficult and as challenging and as like mentally stimulating as possible because that's really why I play this game in the first place. And so, yeah, exactly. 
anything that I can do to, you know, make the people around me play better is just going to make me better. Cause that's how by, you know, I get better when I lose and learn and, um, things like that. So it's, it's really just like a, you know, like an iron sharpens iron kind of situation where as you help everybody else get better, you're going to get better as well. Cause you, you don't usually learn that much when you, you know, win an easy game. Well, exactly. I, I've learned the most from losing because the, the one thing I also wanted to show was um, that if you just kept putting effort into the game, traveling around and playing, that eventually you could win a Grand Clash because uh, that was one of my goals when I started. So eventually mm-hmm. I did it. Um, but because I know people just assume like I was just naturally gifted. But uh, <laughs> I, when I first started playing, I wasn't very good at all. I picked up the game quite quick, quickly, but that was due to experience with uh, Warhammer 40,000 and Age of Sigma and Fantasy. Um, but it's I just wanted to show because um, I, I would say there are people who are just annoyingly naturally good at games uh, like. Honestly, Jay Clare is probably the best player I've ever seen. <laughs> he he is insane. Like I I have no he he can ha, like not play for a month and then play a game and still be as good as he was when he'd last played. Uh, wow. But for me, uh, I just wanted to show like if you just started and put effort, play around, travel around, eventually you can get to where you want as long as you put in the effort. Um, but yeah, that's another important thing to show because I I think a lot of people get um lost over how to win and just think oh, if i play these things i should be winning but i'm not uh so hopefully i can help show people the way to win as well sure would you say that there are any like particular games that you lost that you felt like you learned a lot from or um anything like that i don't know oh, if yeah that comes it was to mind. um the first one which one was it? Uh, the second, yeah. So the second, uh, it was the second or third. Let me bring it up. I just, I've written down uh, <laughs> sure. all the tournaments I've been to, so I'll find out on my blog because uh, I keep a track of where I've been. Uh, blog pages. Yeah, that's fine. While you're looking, I'll say one of mine was probably one of my first or second games that I played with my local group. Um, hmm. This wasn't really something that this was just what I thought of when I asked the question. Um, I was playing, I think I was playing Reavers or yeah, I think I was playing Reavers and I think I had leaders and a couple other packs and stuff. And I was like, yeah, this game's cool. I think my deck's pretty good. And I brought it to the local game night where, you know, these guys have been playing for the whole season. And, um, you know, I went in to charge somebody and then he was like, I'm going to play quick thinker. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's what this game, that's what this game is like. There's really good cards and there's really good combos. And to me, that kind of just inspired me to like, you know, go want to learn all the cards and go put the best deck together that I could. Um, and I, I think that that's sort of the mentality that I've always tried to have is like, I'm going to learn from the, the cool things that other people do and just try to get better. No, that makes sense. Um, for me, I think it was more because I, I started with Iron Skulls Boys because uh, I got bored of playing Stormcast. Because in my local bar, we figured out the best place to waste Stormcast at that time was just to sit back and do nothing. Um, so then we moved. I, I was playing Iron Skulls Boys for a while. I went to let's see one, two, 
three tournaments, well, four tournaments with them, and came second in three of them. Uh, and the last one I took them to was a tournament in January. The first one I traveled to outside of London, and it was the f- second, uh, it was the third independent store I'd ever been to. Uh, and I played really well, got second. And then that's when I realized um, there were just flaws with what I was trying to do with that warband, as I, like, I realized their mobility was annoying. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, annoying shorts. So then I looked at all oh, well, the currently four warbands available, and then I realized um, Steel Hearts could actually do what I wanted to do, but better because they had double distraction basically, which was really important at the time. Yeah. Uh, and that just made me realize threat ranges more. And then the next one was which tournament was that? The second time I used Skaven. Uh, because after the Warhammer World Grand Clash, I just switched to Skaven, Spike Claw Swarm. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one I used them at, I won. And then the second second one, I came second. But that's the reason I came second at that one was my own mistake. Firstly, the rounds were an hour and 15 there. Uh, and I wasn't keeping a track of time. Um, so I lost the first game. And it turned out we played for like 50 minutes. Rushed through the second game that I won. And the third game, I should have just taken the tie because uh, mm-hmm. we just called it and take a tie but then I played on and lost because we only played one round mm-hmm. uh, and then after that tournament I realised I needed to because when I main a warband I write out all the matchups so on the way back I wrote up all the matchups I remembered as a mental note to always take the tie because uh, a tie is better than a loss it's not as good as a win but it's better than nothing uh, sure. so I became more cautious of time and then also to record timings so that's why I always play with... Well, I use my phone as a clock, so I, I time everything I play. Uh, and then even then... It, yeah, it's like the mis- errors I always learn from. Uh, like at the UK Games Expo 2018, uh, in the final game, it came down to an argument with my opponent because he swore it was turn three. I was pretty sure it was turn two, but mm. I wasn't the track of my turn counter. Um, so I took the draw then. Uh, and it, I came fifth. Uh, if I won that game, I would have gone into the final. Mm. Uh, so since then, I learned to... Well, I use metallic door numbers. So they're about five inches big. But uh, People laugh at them at first, but then they go, oh, yeah, you never forget the turn when you just slam a number down. <laughs> uh, but it's, I feel it's important to lose because you do learn more than when you win. Uh, yeah. Because generally... You, uh, the thing I like about Underworld is it's really easy to pick up where you made a mistake and what went wrong and what you did badly and how you can improve um, because the game is more compact but still quite deep, uh, which is more beneficial than like in 40k or Sigmar, it's so easy to lose where everything went wrong. But at least when you're playing Underworlds, you know, you either did this wrong, you, you're approaching the game incorrectly and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, it's great to have that conversation with your opponent afterwards. And you can both kind of talk about, you know, what you did good and what maybe you messed up on. And that's always been one of my favorite parts of these games is that little chat. Yeah, afterwards. it's like I always like helping pointing out to my opponent if they ever realize what went wrong, realize what did, because sometimes my opponents can fixate on like the dice. And I was like, well, actually, I wanted you to attack. So I didn't really care if you attack or succeeded. It was just pulling you out of position because then it allowed me to go in there and all that. Um, but it's generally right. really just chatting through the opponent, seeing their thought process, because I found no one can really predict what I'm doing because 
what I think is the logical route turns out to be quite insane. So, <laughs> well, and, and that that um, brings up another interesting topic. I think is when you mentioned the fixation on luck. Um, I guess my question for you is, how do you think about luck? And then, sort of more of an overarching question, um, how do you think about playing competitively in general? Because I feel like a fixation on luck can really get in the way of being competitive in a lot of the, in a lot of times. Yeah, so it's like uh, that's partly why I called the blog "Can You Roll a Crit?" because you could argue the game does just come down to crits and dice rolls, um, or like draw order, and it's very easy to uh, blame those for reasons why the game is not competitive or why you lost because technically they're out of your control in a way because you sure. could argue you can control the well unless you cheat uh what where your dice land and what cards come out in what order um but it's uh i i think what's really competitive about this game is it's just as a whole it's so compact yet so deep and so it seems so um misleadingly simple that uh you forget even placing your fighters wrong can lose you the game um yeah. and i think it's just sometimes it's not really about playing to win i look more about having good games um because i've had more fun losing certain tournaments than winning others um because it, i find the games better when it's really tight and you're trying to really outplay your opponent more than just trying to normally beat them instead of just like oh, i'm trying to score more than them you're trying trying to um actually beat them because the difficult thing with underworlds that takes it's really difficult to master is trying to score really highly while also trying to disrupt your opponent's scoring uh, mm -hmm. because it's easy to do one or the other but doing both is really difficult because it requires your game knowledge to be really good and also to pick up what your opponent's trying to do and trying to like build off of the signs so once you can do that you can go oh they're setting up this and this so i just play around that while still doing this to actually score so I'm scoring big and denying theirs. And it's it's quite difficult to get your head around because at first it's really daunting because you could go, if that's the way the game's to be played, I can't, it's too difficult to approach, uh, which is why you have to like, I advise just stepping up to it. So you focus on one part first and then go for the other. But it's, I find when you're playing like the really tough games, that when, that's where you can really express yourself as a player to find out how good you really are and how well you know the game. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, <clears throat> so specifically about the event that was last weekend, the Scottish, uh, the, I guess it was Tabletop Scotland Grand Clash. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe yep. this is the second year for that event. Yes. Um, I guess my question before we talk about what you brought to the event was mm -hmm. we're in the end of Night Vault. We have the yep. what is likely the final banded restricted. Um, to me, this is kind of like the the best the game has ever been um, from a balanced perspective. Um, what did you expect to see um, as far as a meta was concerned? And I guess how did that affect your um, choice of a warband? Um, I guess I'll spoil it. You you chose the Thorns of the Briar Queen. Yes. Um, so it's, there was a multitude of factors. 
So the first thing was um, I'd finally won with all 16 warbands. Uh, so yeah. I was free in a way because for a long time I've kind of been tied down to playing what I haven't won with yet, um, which is my own fault. So it's it's fine, but it it's it, it was the first time I've been free to play what I've wanted to play since uh, I won Blood and Glory back in November of last year. So or, I, even though I played or at least practice with one warband, right? Like, because I know you've yeah, played profiteers a couple of times in the Grand Clash, but I'm sure you've been most of your mental energy has been going into like, how do I make orcs work, or how do I make <laughs> eyes of the nine work? Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. This this year I took, uh, I had a choice: either basically focus on trying to win the Grand Clashes, or try and win with every other warband. So I chose the warbands because uh, I've already won two Grand Clashes. So I wanted to do that instead. Yeah. So once I finally did that, um, because uh, I, I like to describe, like I describe there's multiple types of players, but I prefer myself, well, I categorize myself as a mixture of like a character loyalist and a technician. So I like playing something really complex or with a lot of depth by also yeah. like sticking to one thing and just playing with it. So at first I looked at, after reviewing the banner restriction list, I realized my profiteers didn't work and I wasn't really having fun playing with them because they were annoyingly predictable and consistent. But the problem is that was their biggest downfall. Uh, and after the latest banner restriction list, which I, I don't think the game has been this balanced since it first the banner restricted list first came out, Right, I would uh, that. So it's, it's really good for the game, but my profit is basically, I like to call it the monologue problem. So they either have a really good restricted deck where you, all your restricted cards are, so it's a really consistent deck, but then you mm -hmm. have no damage, or you go for like putting trap and pit trap in the deck to make it work, but then your objective deck becomes very inconsistent. So yeah. uh, plus I was just getting bored of playing them. Uh, so I s said to myself, if I could, if if I had stuck with the warband at the start of Nightbolt, what would have been? And I just went thorns. So I picked thorns, uh, and then I was chatting with my friends because we pl I play with the Reading lot a lot. Uh, and they're like a group of players uh, who are led by David Smee, who's like one of the UK's best players, probably one of the best players in the world. So they yeah. got really good. I, I usually run into them at tournaments, and then uh, my friend Rob. And David gave me the idea for running Swarm Ghosts. Uh, well, the objective's mainly ganging up and nowhere to go because uh, they evolve just they revolve around surrounding your opponent and then attack. Well, just surrounding your opponent. So then I really liked the idea of that. So then I just built off built off of that with Thorns because they can really exploit it to an extent. Uh, right. But also I found Thorns are just really consistent and fun to play for me. Uh, they also deal well with a lot of the bad matchups that I was expecting. Like, there's a really good Scottish Molog player uh, who beat me. So it's funny, I beat him in the fourth round of the Scottish Grand Clash last year, and mm -hmm. then he beat me in the fourth round of UK Games Expo this year. Mm -hmm. And his Molog was just really good. Um, so I knew Thorns can deal with aggro quite well, actually, because uh, mainly mad Maddening Cackle, because... That's as a reaction after a failed attack action, uh, you uninspire that fire permanently and they can't be re-inspired. So that basically shuts down Molog because once you uninspire him, he can't go through the ghosts. He will just 
Right. When he's he's even got he's only got two dice, so that's even with rerolls, he's not going to be able to churn through them. Um, and, and also you're because able. To... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and you're able to get around his one charge when he's not inspiring. Yes. So. Because the, the main problem, the main thing about uninspiring him is now he can't double charge. Um, yeah. So you just turn him into a normal fighter, basically, and that kills the deck. And then magic. You just hope been... that they don't get blazing soul out before. <laughs> yeah. so that, that's the annoying thing. It becomes a race to get uh, who gets their cards first. So yeah. I know he was running it. So it's just uh, it's kind of like I'd have probably mulliganed in that case just to get um, what do you call it. Uh, maddening cackle and just continually attacked Molog to bait it out because uh, right. you want him to aggressive defense or my turn back because then you can trap him with rebound or last chance or just rolling a crit and yeah. then you maddening him and he's useless but then yeah. also because magic was restricted I wasn't too uh, concerned because before you could have run warbands with two or more with two wounds because uh, magic warbands would just obliterate it they'd go like sphere of Akshi and mm-hmm. then Sorceress Forest and just kill you and just stuff like that. But with all of that kept in check, they had a fairer time. Right. Um, and I think the game is just really balanced. So because I didn't think anything is at the best anymore, uh, I just wanted to play Thorns because I have fun playing with them. I did toy around with a Curse Breaker build, uh, but I just found it really boring. Uh, so at least with the Ghosts, my opponent is having fun because I always build mm-hmm. stuff so it's still interactive in a way. Right. Uh, so my opponent is going to be killing ghosts regardless. So they're never not going to be in a position where, oh, well, you won because you're at the back of the board. Uh, I win while I'm rushing you down. So sure. But then the deck, it's basically a swarm deck, but it, I like to describe it as the ultimate flex deck because it can do. Well, I built it so it interacts with every playstyle, uh, but then also it's very, it's a heavily, it's a heavily heavily positioning deck it's super reliable on your positioning where you put your fighters where you push them and knowing your deck inside and out um because i went through the deck like 20 revisions but i only played it uh, how many games six 11 12 games before the grand clash so i had one okay. practice game at club night and then i took it to two tournaments and then straight to the grand clash uh but it's building off it's weird. It doesn't look like it would work. Makes uh, will work on paper, but it its design is specifically for me. So it works off of my matchup knowledge uh, because I know how each warband works generally and how everyone plays. Uh, and it also gets around people expecting what thorns do. So they expect you to send in the Briar Queen and to sit back on objectives. But my deck mm-hmm. doesn't really do that. So. Um, Generally, the swarms part is just you only need to send four to three chain rasps into people, so you can have one chain rasp, uh, Varclav, and the queen capturing objectives. Uh, you can still send in the queen to t- attack while swarming and capturing objectives. And uh, if your opponent doesn't swarm you, if your opponent sits back, they're giving you supremacy and the only way out. And if they come to you, they're getting swarmed, so they can't sit back because you gain too much glory by sitting back. Um, so that because when I first built it, my friends were like, uh, um, well, Rob was like, you shouldn't run supremacy on our only way out because it's clashing with you trying to swarm them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's true. But if you don't put those in there, your opponent will quickly realize after one game, all they have to do is sit back and not engage, and the deck falls apart. 
at least this right. way, that becomes more difficult to play. But with those insurance policies, you basically, your opponent has to come to you because if they don't, you're going to get too much glory from uh, sitting on objectives and scoring, not, uh, keep them guessing. Uh, and then it, there is not much attacking from the deck, which is why I put in Tome of Offerings, uh, because I would say my only aggro objective is precise use of force, which can be mm-hmm. scored by anyone. And then the upgrade deck is basically dedicated to attacking, so it's de- dedicated to aggro, and the rest of the deck is hold objectives, control, and then technically magic with Howling Vortex. Yeah, it's it's uh, a very interesting deck. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised when they saw um, what it was made up of. I'm sure a lot of people were surprised when they played it. <laughs> um, uh, it's very funny when people go, What's ganging up and nowhere to go? It's like, here you go. Yeah, you, you yeah. are around me. Yep. Because uh, the trick <laughs> I, is... I guess for anyone listening, because I think I don't know if I knew off the top of my head what ganging up did. It's two glory, which is a lot. Um, score this immediately if all hexes adjacent to a single enemy fighter, other than blocked or incomplete hexes, contain friendly fighters. Um, yep. So I would imagine that a lot of the time, if you have that in your starting hand, you might be able to get that almost right away up against a, somebody up against a wall or um, something like yeah, that. Yeah, the trick is, uh, what I find is people hidden path in to try and kill you. Oh, uh, no. So <laughs> in the corner, so you put Varclav or the Queen next to that objective. Um, so then they send someone in, in the corner or you're sitting in the corner. Then you play Confusion to swap yourself around and then you teleport or push a fighter in. So you have, you have two fighters next to them. They're trapped in the corner. They've trapped themselves for free. So now you score nowhere to go and ganging up. And then if wow. it goes into your action, you score deathly clutches. Um, the real trick, though, is when they're in an edge hex. So it's the edge hex when they're... How do I describe it? Uh, when they would well, be trapped. Where, where, an edge hex where, where there's three surrounding hexes instead of right. four. Um, yeah. So what you can do is you can either push them in there with Howling Vortex or an attack. Or you set up three, or it's difficult to say, but you set up one chain rasp in that hex trapped and then two chain rasps next to it below it. So basically they can only come in and attack uh, from the third empty hex and they'll mm-hmm. go, oh, you're two wounds, you'll die. And you'll go, okay, that's fine. Uh, your attack goes through. If you don't roll a crit or you don't roll enough defense, you go rebound or last chance. And then you know, like, okay, you've charged, that's fine. Okay, confusion. So after confusion, you immediately score death sentence, ganging up, and nowhere to go. And then if it goes into your next activation, you score deathly clutches. So by them doing a bad charge and then you messing them around with confusion, you can score four, five glory wow. off of their misplayed attack action. Uh, but it's the, it's the great thing because you would not believe how many times I scored ganging up and nowhere to go off of people using hidden paths. Because um, the I greatest thing it, is... Yeah. Uh, you can abuse blocked hexes, so I pick boards with as many blocked hexes as possible. Because uh, nowhere to go is more lenient because it's lethal hexes and blocked hexes. But um, in certain boards, like the Soul Refractor, anyone who charges in there is a trap. Because uh, generally people think you have to have six fighters around someone. They forget that you can just score it by trapping someone in the corner or trapping someone in the middle of lethal hexes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can... My friend experiments with a build using a Shardfall, but I just didn't find Shardfall useful for me. Uh, but it, it's mainly about swarming you, because uh, the greatest thing is 
it doesn't need cards to be set up because you can just keep using Varclav to push people and people just don't expect it. Uh, when people, like a common tactic I like to use is pushing everyone, all the chain rafts up in a line um, mm-hmm. because people just get confused. They don't know how to <laughs> deal with a line of chain rasps. And the greatest thing is if you push all four chain rasps into two fighters, so then your opponent goes, oh, I'll move that one. And you go, okay, that's fine. Those two inspire, I get definitely clutches. And I'll surround that one. Because uh, there's not much attacking. And then I put in Tome of Offerings just to boost off the aggro stuff. Because uh, I needed more glory. Because the base objective glory is 20. 21 mm-hmm. if you count. Well, 21 because Precises of Force is a two glory card. Because it's one for the objective, one for the kill. Uh, sure. and then I put in uh, the Formless Key. Because originally I used Tome of Glories. But I cannot... The deck is so activation intensive. I get more from drawing a card or cycling an objective than I do for setting up getting mm-hmm. a glory home of glories. And I found the formless key is just really good. It won me so many games because people forget about the formless key. And if you've got a fighter with formless key and quickening greaves, yeah. they've basically got their objective. Like quickening greaves is just for me the best of the best upgrade. Uh because it's a very cool card. It's an out of sequence push. So mm-hmm. uh, if, unless your opponent removes the objective, you have basically got their objective. There's there's nothing they can do about it. Um, yeah, which I kind of think of it as like a, it's kind of like an upgrade version of sidestep a lot of the time too. And like in the yes. final round or the final power step of the round, you'll just put it on and then pop on the uh, objective. So it's a cool yeah, card. Another thing I would only use ready fraction generally to move. I don't really use ready fraction to attack. Because mm-hmm. uh, you can do crazy stuff with like inescapable ven- with vengeance or Fainway crystal to move to make more traps, and then you can use um, sudden appearance and hidden paths and quick advance to set up just a lot of opportunities to surround and trap the opponent. So it's difficult, right. but when you put it off, it just kind of chains off for each other, and then you just pull back and score the objectives. So on average, the deck scores 20 glory. Uh, the most I did was 24. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, on average, I scored 20 glory with the deck. Okay. And there's just a couple things I wanted to ask about the deck. You know, I, I think it's obvious you probably made the choice not to include these cards. Um, yep. So I noticed you have three ways to score a shortcut. What was the reasoning on not including it? Well, because I, so I got David Smith to write an article for me about card combos. Yep. And basically, uh, after my experience with Godsworn, I refuse to run objectives that can only be scored by cards. Because <laughs> uh, I found uh, if I wanted to score shortcut, I would need a 20-card deck. And this deck only works at 22, because I prefer playing at 22. Um, so a, a case could be argued for it, but the problem I would go is yeah. um, if you don't have the tools to score it and you need to use those cards to set up or score ganging up and nowhere to go, and the mm-hmm. problem is, if you have, uh, if you don't have those in hand, you would waste a card just to score shortcut, and it doesn't really benefit me in any way. Uh, I find shortcut forces your hand too much as well. Mhm. Yeah, and a lot of the time, you, I think ghosts are. Um, it's interesting that you kind of want all those cards anyway, but I think a lot of the time you can put in, like people just put shadowed step in, and they may not even. I mean, I know I do that. I put shadow. I'm, I've been putting shadow step in a lot of decks, and it's sort of just there to score shortcut. And it's probably not yeah. as efficient as <laughs> it needs to be. 
or it could yeah. be. The problem is I could I would I could add in like confusing reflection and stuff, but they don't synergize with what I want to do. They just synergize right. with one objective. Yeah, and I was actually going to mention that article, and um, that is a good one. And I think uh, the conclusion he came to is if you don't have at least two or three triggers, then you really shouldn't mess with combos. Yep. And the more combos you have, the less reliable it can become. And I would imagine that you know if your goal is to win a five round grand clash or you know nowadays it's, there's the two day ones as well uh, reliability is going to be one of the most important things when it comes to putting a deck together yeah because the worst case i found when i was playing godsworn was branching fate with brick or cover ground with brick mm-hmm. uh, so i was missing the cards to score at the time and they would just sit there and sit there until i'd score it but it would it cost me so many games so i just uh, from now I just now on I just don't include cards that can only be scored via other cards, except okay. for superior attention because I think that's a valuable <laughs> um, exemption because I have eleven other cards that can score it in right. my deck. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't uh, usually, if you don't, if you haven't scored at least six other ones, then something else is going wrong. So. Yeah. And if you make sure that all those other ones are very reliable, like you are, then that reduces that uh, chance of happening as well. So yeah, makes sense. Um, what was uh, what was the other one that was interesting to me was Hero Slayer. How did that one? What was the so originally my slot was um, another key, and then instead of Hero Slayer, it was Shade Glass Dagger. Mm, but then I yeah. realized Glass Dagger wasn't really benefiting me that much at least hero slayer it's flat full damage so it it synergizes more with precise use of force because uh, right. the problem with last dagger it could even be four free damage i have no control over that mm-hmm. also hero slayer i've got uh, endless malice and potion of rage but mm-hmm. also because uh if i'm swarming people i'm generally trapping them um so i'm fully supported and you're trapped so i'm only missing on a fury and if I hit, they need a crit to stay alive. Plus, it just messes up my opponent, and they get terrified. So I just love Hero Slayer. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, I think that's a card that not a lot of people would have expected. But um, let's see. All right. Well, I think I think that's enough on the deck. Um, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, actually, one more question I had about the deck. Um, hmm. What would you say you, if, if there is a weakness of the deck? What do you think that it is? Or maybe another way to phrase that would be, uh, what do you think you need to do to beat that deck? Uh, well, the kit, the the main weakness I found is martyred because it's the base, it's the best objective and the worst objective. Mm-hmm. So a win aggro games, but the problem is against certain matchups, it can cost you because you have no way to kill your own fighters. Uh, but the main weakness of the deck is I I see. You can try and kill Varklav, but there is no way you can get to him because I usually have Hidden Paths and Sudden Appearance in hand, or mm. I'm waiting for you to purposely attack him because uh, I'll situation I'll place him in such a way that he is next to block hexes or in a corner. Because right. um, the main way I'd advise to beat Thorns is kill the Queen, kill the other hang, then they've lost all their aggro, but that right. doesn't work against this deck. Uh, you just have to kill all the Chain Rasps. If you can kill all the Chain Rasps, you should be okay. Um, but it's this... Well, it's partly because how I play it. It's just really difficult to beat. You have to basically kill all the Chain Rasps at once. If you don't, then it's mm-hmm. rough. 
if you can kill Varklav early, you can try, but I wouldn't waste the effort of going after Varklav. Only if you can charge him. So if you can make a charge to Varklav, that is fine. But if you're using cards to teleport next to him, you will never get to him. Or it's a trap. So right. Uh, um, I guess yeah. If you can kill all the, the, the hardest games I found was when people were killing the chain rasps too quickly. Uh, but even then, it's really difficult to kill three or four chain rasps in a single action phase. Sure. Okay. Well, let's go through the games that you played um, at the event. Um, there were 28 people there, which is a smaller yep. for the the UK scene, but still a a good size for five rounds. So. Yeah, because they got 20 last year. So okay. it was supposed to be 36, but then eight people didn't turn up. Yeah. Okay. So uh, still a bit lower than normal, but bigger than last year. Uh, but the first game was against Gits. Um, mm. So I was worried going into the tournament because I, I, I didn't go in there thinking I was going to win. Uh, I just was actually going there like when I first went there last year with my Spikeful Swarm, I was actually just trying to win Best Painted. So that was another reason I used my Thorns, <laughs> because I've painted them really nicely. Uh, just yeah. there to have fun. Uh, but uh, I was watching out for Thomas Convoy, because he won UK Games Expo. And I know he wasn't running his Briar Queen, but I know he's... Uh, not Briar Queen. Uh, is Guardians, but I know he was, he was yeah. running something really solid. Uh, I knew Michael Carlin was going. Uh, the other Paul, who plays Molog, who's really good. Uh, Derek uh, from Canada, he was really good. And there, there was this... Um, Oh, what was his name? This really good Garrix Reavers player. I've forgotten his name. Uh, but he came from Europe specifically. Uh, Jan. Yeah, um, I have Jan it. Jan William. Yep. Uh, yeah. um, but first round, I was up against Cameron. So he was about 12, but he was quite experienced. He'd won a store tournament uh, and he'd been to a lot because he was up from Aberdeen, I believe. Um, so he was against Gits and the Gits matchup is actually really difficult uh, because it's it's not good for either player, it's a bad matchup for both players, but it's mm -hmm. about who gets the momentum going early so both games I was able to uh, get ahead in the first round by a few glory and then after that just snowball because I was able to snop and control where he was going and what he wanted to do um because he, he was doing everything right it was just i was able to see what he was doing before he was going to do it uh mm -hmm. so i stopped him getting on objectives moved away before he could kill me uh, and stuff like that so i won the first game 21-5 and the second game 23-2 so i think that put me on plus 37 glory uh for round one yeah uh then round two uh i was against john and he was using his Yofari's Guardians, which is another bad matchup because uh, of the magic and range damage. Uh, but once again, this was where Maddening Cackle came in because oh. uh, it was great against Molog, but also it shuts down Stormsire and Yofari because uninspired, they go down to range one damage. Uh, well, one damage at range three. Um, and the main thing is, I don't, I'm not too concerned when the, the Chain Rasp die, but I just want to make you exert too much effort into trying to kill them right. so when your fire goes from being able to one shot a chain rubs to now two shot um you basically kill their efficiency so right. the first game was really tight i just managed to sneak in superior tactician and win 14 12 
Uh, and then the second game, he made a few mistakes and I was able to cat- capitalize and score everything. Well, pretty much everything. So then I won that uh, 20 to 3. So going into that, wow. I think I was ranked first still. Okay. Uh, then game three, I was against Paul and his uh, Zarbags gets again. Uh, so I knew it was going to be tough because he'd just beaten Thomas. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, Thomas game- was playing the uh, the skeletons. So yes, Pokemon gods, but he was doing amazingly well with them. He was scoring. Uh, I checked back on the scores uh, after the tournament, and he was scoring like I think on average plus ten to plus twenty a game, except mm-hmm. when he lost. So he'd, he'd obviously figured out how to make them work as well. I mean, I, rig- I thought about using the Spoker Guard, but they're just too slow for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this game was really tough. Because um, the first game, I, I don't think I succeeded with a single attack until... Uh, I think I succeeded with one attack. Because the issue was, <laughs> it was, he was coming to me, but the problem with Snurk was... I had to burn all my positioning away to get away from Snook. So then mm-hmm. I managed to sneak in uh, in the because he was running tomes as well, but he had burned his first opening hand with supremacy escalation and something else. So I managed oh. to tie out our only way out, supremacy, um, superior tactician, and a key. So then we tied that game because uh, I thought I'd lost because I thought he was just going to tome up, but he'd ran out of tomes. Because uh, mm. he tried spreading them out because he thought I was going to kill... Well, he just spread out the tomes, um, which was fine. Uh, so Zarbag only had three. So he got three from that to put him on 15. Uh, and then mm. I managed to get onto 15 thanks to the key. Uh, and then we tied because I had one chain rust left and Varclav on objectives. And he had two on his two objectives because uh, I lost boards three times, which was amazing for me. Oh, wow. Uh, but in the second game, he pretty much fractured me. I only had... At the end of game two, I only had Varklav left, but I managed to still score some glory, but I lost that one 14-8. Mm-hmm. And then in the third game, um, so in the rules pack, uh, because he'd drawn and then won, I knew the best I could do was draw. So I had to win game three to draw, just to force right. a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, so halfway through the game, I was like... Uh, I can't, well, I could try and score Superior Tactician, but I can't do it. I need to play safe. So I ditched it to just score any objective I could to win. Uh, I wasn't caring about how big I won. I just needed to win to force a tie. Didn't care right. about glory difference. Uh, my my glory difference was so high I could take a negative glory difference. I just right. needed to win. Um, so I managed to just pull out a 12-8 win because uh, I think I that was the game I killed Zarberg really early and mm. killed Snurk, so he had no tomes. So I just managed to get a 12-8 win. Uh, but then in round three, me, uh, I think Paul the Monologue player and Michael Carlin all drew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when we found out <laughs> that tabletop TO does not faction in draws. It has to be a win or a loss. Because uh, right. the annoying thing is... They used best coast pairings last year, but they had a lot of issues with it. And the TO who's running it this year, he uses t- uh, he, he mainly TOs Sigma and 40k and a lot of other games, and he never has any issues with it. Uh, the problem I had, I was trying to research tabletop TO, but I could find nothing on it. 
no way that I don't know how I was doing rulings or anything. So mm-hmm. I just trust this TO because he's really experienced and he, he knows what he's doing. The reason he was using t- tabletop TO's experience with it and also because it's um, it gives you a backed up copy. So he had a copy for himself on Google mm-hmm. Notes or OneDrive and a live copy. Uh, but he did not know as well because I, I think he had inquired and they said it works well for Underworlds. Uh, but no one knew it didn't take draws. So he went off who has the highest glory difference wins the round. It was a big shock to me because that would have completely changed how I played the game. Because in the rules pack, it says if you draw, you just draw. Uh, Because at that time, I was just like... Unless uh, it's like the final round of an event where you have to have a winner. right? I was like, things have gone terribly bad. I just have to force (laughs) the draw, take the draw, and go with that. Um, So then, annoyingly... I was like, it, it put me on full tilt because I was like, <laughs> uh, I would have approached the game differently. Um, we still, I still had a really good game with Paul, uh, but he took the win, and I was just like, uh, very annoyed because uh, sure. I'd lost. But um, because of my place, well, because of my stats before, I was still the highest loser. Um, right. Uh, uh, and then. It's weird because Michael had drawn his game, but they counted him as the winner. And then Paul had drawn his game, but he had lost by minus glory difference, so he was counted as a loser. Right. Uh, so game, round four, I was against Michael Carlin. Uh, and he was running the Festering Hungering deck. Well, mm-hmm. his own twist on it. So I knew it wasn't going to be exactly the same. Uh, sure. My problem with it, I've... Uh, so I do a lot of it, like probing for playstyles because um, the great thing is... Uh, Anything I don't know, I do a lot of research on. So I knew how to beat it, but I'd never actually played against it. Mm. And all the other Festering and Hungering decks had all bricked. And basically, they'd all died out by round two. Um, mm. But I what to watch out for. Because uh, I just be, I always keep a tab on stuff. So I, I knew what the build was. Uh, so the first game, he like devastated me. Partly because... <laughs> I was still on tilt. Uh, it was it, like, because the, the nice thing is everyone was trying to say like, oh, that's not really fair. Like, mm-hmm. we, it's the rules pack. And like, people offered me to like, uh, because after game one, we went for half, an hour lunch. And then game two, three and four were basically all played back to back. So instead of just going for a breather, I just went straight into game four. Because if I tried to take a breather, I would have just gotten more and more annoyed about that result and it would have just ruined me but he played really well um and he like just completely outplayed me like shard killed me like denied all my objectives so then i lost uh 16-9 yeah i think he has killing so, ground in there which can be a real surprise too yeah so because with the shard girl he basically got killing ground because he managed to kill someone everywhere right in the first round of game uh, game one so then in game two i was like okay i'm not gonna let him score killing ground anymore uh yeah. I'll be careful about where I choose stuff to die and stuff. Uh, so I managed to switch things around and win 17-9. Um, and then we went into game three. And this was one where I won board, or I lost boards again. Mm. Uh, but I was still remembering to completely deny him scoring killing ground. So every time... Uh, so I started off the game like when I pushed my chain rasps, I made sure not to push them in no man's land because he would charge and kill them, so then he would only have to kill one of his own fighters, and mm. then kill one of my fighters with a teleport. 
and then it would have got killing ground. So I sacrificed my movement and slowed things down um, just to not score him killing ground. And then it just <laughs> got really tense uh, because he knew I had martyred on our only way out and I made the mistake of getting rid of our only way out instead of martyred. So when he didn't attack me, um, I just kind of... Uh, I relied on Tome of Offerings. So what I did was... The Queen was out of range for anything because uh, I didn't want her to charge. I just wanted her to, to attack. So I gave mm-hmm. the Everhang Tome of Offerings and Potion of Rage and Hero Slayer. Uh, no, yeah, Potion of Rage. Um, mm-hmm. No, I just gave him Tome of Offerings. Then he teleported um, the adjacent Festering Skaven, who was in No Man's Land, two hexes away onto No Man's Land next to my Chain Rasps. So I knew he wanted me to charge the ever hanged in. And I was like, he's going to try and score killing ground still. <laughs> yeah. in hand. So I just gave him Hero Slayer Potion of Rage. I'd already burned Endless Malice. So I just charged Scritch, who was uninspired, uh, and managed to kill him with two smashes to score Precise Use of Force, Hero Slayer, uh, Precise Use of Force, the kill, and Tom of Offerings. That gave me a free glory boost. Uh, uh-huh. And then I just kind of tried to passive him out. Um, and I just went for kills. So I tried, um, I just avoid trying to kill in the middle because uh, one shard girl would have ruined me because he would have been able to score killing ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I killed his, all of his fighters in my land, uh, and then basically it pushed me to 10 glory. He was on eight, so mm-hmm. we scored superior, but because he was so. It was. It's a really difficult game to describe because it was so tense. Because mm-hmm. he was trying to play around my objectives while I was trying to play around his objectives, but we're both still trying to win. Uh, right. But he had, because we were so focused on that, I had moved Farclav onto objective, uh, one of the objectives in the corner of my board, at the end of the first round, and I'd given him a key, and I just left him alone. Um, so I'd mm-hmm. focused in priority on the queen and the chain rasps so we would waste activations well waste energy in trying to kill the queen because he had to kill her from way to stop her from killing which he could right. do uh and then positioning my chain rasps where to kill so then because i was on three objectives annoyingly i'd got rid of our only way out but the key pushed me to an 11 11 tie uh mm. and then we were uh, i'm the only one on objectives uh because no one was wiped out so then i won Game free, eleven, eleven, and because I've beaten him, yeah. So I got uh, two wins. It was really tight. It was super tense because um, I was yeah. just never drew shard girl in ter- games two and three, <laughs> and I. Um, that's why I was just terrified because if he got an early killing ground, it was very difficult for me to catch up because he was the only player who I've encountered who was actually running stuff to disrupt my hold objectives uh mm-hmm. paul from game three was as well but michael was doing it more effectively so i think i only right. got one supremacy off on the three games um because yeah, the problem was i was yes because i was trying to get greedy with trying to score supremacy over keep them guessing where i should have just stuck with score and keep them guessing uh but it was really tense um and then we were unsure because of the scores if i'd still made i think i'd still made it into the final but we were mm-hmm. like, Harlan would be on a loss draw and two wins, uh, whereas I would be on 
three wins and a loss. Uh, so we were just unsure. But then uh, after round four, the um, TL went, uh, I'm just going to calculate the draws as they should be because it's not fair because it's in the rules pack. Right. Um, and I didn't know the software didn't do draws. So then he recalculated it. So mm-hmm. I think I was second anyway, but it confirmed yeah, me a second be- uh, because Paul with the Molog, uh, who drew his game but counted as a loss, he had won his fourth game. So he was tied for f- second as well. But his glory difference was plus 20 something and mine was plus 55. So right. I just made it through uh, because I hadn't, I'd only dropped two games. So I made it through. And then I was against uh, Derek. Because it was really funny. Um, we joked. Well, he, we, he wanted to play me. And I was like, after losing round three, I was like, well, we're probably not going to get it. And I was <laughs> like, oh, well, we'll play another time. And then, uh, yeah, I found out we were playing each other because he was the only player to go undefeated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think I would actually do too well against him because he was running Storm Size Curse Breakers uh, Magic Heavy build, mm-hmm. which is basically one of the main ways that beats the stack because of the extra damage. Um, right. Just kill all the chain <laughs> Well, yeah, because the magic just blows me up. Um, but the funny thing was, in testing, well, at the tournaments I'd taken this, the two tournaments I'd taken this to prior, I'd played against Magic Curse Breakers and won, partly because uh, people just can't deal with the swarming, and mm-hmm. also Cryo Thunder's really easy to see coming. Yeah. Uh, but um, game one was really tough because uh, the way I looked at it in that game, I was like, I have to send in two to three chain rasps. So I just sent in three chain rasps just to swarm uh, and kept the rest on objectives um, because he, I made him have to choose either to deal with my raiding party or come for the objectives. So I pushed up the chain rasps and then at the end of the activation, I managed to score deathly clutches um and then i moved it i charged the ever hanged into the two uh chain rasps and amis to do two damage to rastus just to score um what do you call it death sentence mm-hmm. uh, because the great thing is i like putting the ever hanged mid ground or like i never put him up front because he's movement for uninspired mm-hmm. he's the greatest one at getting mobility um and then Storm Sire attacked me uh, and then missed. So I immediately Uh-oh. maddening cackled him. Uh, <laughs> so he became uninspired and was capped at one damage. Uh, and then Derek and was missing. And one defense, which but... really thanks for him. Well, yeah, because by the... I don't think I actually killed him that game, but it was just knocking him down to one damage, basically. Yeah. He yeah. neutered his damage. Uh, because... He, instead of going one shot that chain rasp, magic, magic, I'll shoot the next one, he spent yeah. like several activations trying to kill a single chain rasp. Um, yeah, especially uh, if he has objectives that are like requiring him to get magic kills, he can't just use the staff. <laughs> and yeah, it, it was um, once he did score Strange Demise, he, he was like, this is the first time I've ever used his staff. <laughs> so he just started hitting me with the staff. It was because he was just like, "This too damage. I have to kill your stupid chain rasps." Um, but while he was doing that, I was scoring. Keep them guessing. Supremacy, our only way out. So I was yeah. matching his glory for killing. 
Um, so then once again, because Varclav had the formless key, I was able to narrowly win game one, 16-15. Uh, but oh. even if I didn't have the key, I would have won on tiebreakers because I was holding all the objectives. I was on all five. Um, <laughs> wow. In game three, uh, game two, uh, the same thing happened again. But this time I only sent two chain wasps in. So it was just the ever hanged and another one. Um, so I didn't start my hand with maddening cackle like I did last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I managed to score supremacy, keep them guessing, and something else. No, just supremacy and keep them guessing. And uh, I was like, oh, I need maddening cackle. It'd be really great if I had it. So once I discarded all my cards, the first card I drew was maddening cackle. Uh, and then Storm Sire went first, shot, missed maddening cackles, and he just. Just wow. got really annoyed because uh, he'd never encountered Maddening Cackle until he played me. So, um, <laughs> you think he so would then, say that it's maddening? <laughs> oh, yes, it was. I like his fecal formation better, but um, <laughs> it was just uh, he wasted. Oh, he missed as well because the uh, it's the curse of the double focus attack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then basically, because uh, I run rebound and last chance as a walking what do you call it, transfixing stare. But it's just uh, it was just really easy to keep him alive with that one wound chain rasp because um, he was only doing one damage. So then it allowed me to send more fighters in. Um, right. Then it was still quite close until the third, act- the third round. Mm-hmm. Um, so the issue was I could easily hit and path the queen in, uh, but Amis was on three wo- four wounds, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Rastus was on two and Stormside was on four but I didn't have great strength but I had precise use of force so I gave Tome of Offerings to the Queen and basically I hid and passed her two hexes away from Rastus and then used Drifting Advance to go on to four objectives while pushing the Chain Rasp that was still alive in his territory next to Rastus uh, and then killed him to score precise use of force uh, Tome of Offerings uh, then it was keep them guessing, our only way out, and supremacy and the key, uh, mm-hmm. which basically pushed me over the edge to win 17-12. Uh, so I managed to actually win that one 2-0. To my greatest surprise, because it was just, <laughs> it's like literally the worst matchup I could have faced, uh, but I managed to win boards on both times. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then after that, I was the winner. Um, there was one piece of drama that I only found out yesterday thanks to uh, you and Aman because um, uh, apparently Paul uh, said on Discord well one of the Discords I'm not sure which one that um, he for game one where we drew he was holding more objectives um, the problem mm-hmm. is uh, well people ran away with it and have tried to jump to conclusions uh, he, the problem is it was, I'm pretty sure I was holding two objectives because on game two, mm-hmm. he'd wiped me pretty much. Um, cause I had won boards all game. Uh, but I was, pr- I'm pretty sure like 80% sure I had Varclav and the key with another chain and rasp on the objectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when game one, I thought I'd lost. He's like, Oh, we tie in objectives. And I was like, that's correct but we'll just go through it. Um, so I, I was like, none of us has wiped us out. Yep, 
I mean, I've got less fighters, but no one's wiped out. And we're holding the same amount of objectives. And he went, yep. I was like, well, we draw. Uh, and he's like, yeah, we draw. <laughs> and we just went on to game two. Um, yeah. Because I don't think maliciously, I think it, he pr- might have just forgotten, like just an honest mistake. Because um, it can be forgotten in the heat of the moment, but I would never try and yeah. abuse the stuff again. Because uh, I, I know some people are saying, like, uh, I didn't properly remember the tiebreakers, but then did with Michael. But the sure. thing is, with Michael, it was very clear because he wasn't on any objectives. It was just me. <laughs> right. And, um, but yeah, it was like, we didn't rush through it. We, we, I made sure we slowly went through it. And we were like, so just a draw. So we went on. Uh, sure. I would have preferred if he kept, talked to me about it first instead of posting on Discord. But I think it's probably because he thought I was on there. But Discord is one of the places I'm actually not on. I'm only on the Warhammer, on, Warhammer Underworlds Online one. Uh, yeah, but the whole problem I is I don't think that he was accusing you of anything. Um, oh no, I think I think he was, was regrettably r- looking back and saying, you know, I think maybe I was on more. I, you know, so, but um, he's still a really solid guy, and we still had a really great set of games. I think it was just more like yeah, yeah trying to remember, like it could have happened. And the problem is, it will just kind of go into my word against his because uh, yeah, well, none of were recorded, but it. We still had a really good game. I think it's just unfortunate the way it's kind of developed, but uh, yeah. I think it's just a misunderstanding. I don't think there's anything malicious towards it as well because we we had really tense games. Like in the second game, he completely like handed me my ass, like <laughs> almost wiped out the gits. Uh, I almost died to squigs. It was it's depressing. Oh. Well, because he was running oh, so I charged him with a chain rasp and then he just killed it with the crit. So it's like someone's using my own magic against me. Um, <laughs> Wow. But yeah, from that it was just because I, 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 it's really weird. Every time I go into a tournament trying to win, uh, with the so mentality of winning, or at least when it comes to grand clashes, I end up losing. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, yeah, I didn't think I was going to win. I was just going there to defend my crown because uh, it's like it's the right. <laughs> uh, but it was just really fun. Uh, apart from the issues with tabletop to, but that's more mm-hmm. because. I hate tabletop TO now. Um, <laughs> don't understand how you can say your tournament software works for every game. Well, it's like how you can say, oh, it's completely fine for the game. Oh, it doesn't count draws. Yeah. Right. Um, but um, I, it was still really fun. I mean, it was great. We all got drunk after. Um, Derek is amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've talked to him a little bit on Facebook, and he's seems like a cool guy and he's actually made a couple of uh deck guides for the well of power site so oh nice he, he loves well, reavers, or uh, not reavers uh, magor's fiends he loves them <laughs> well it, it's like he did he, he i thought he was going to win best painted because uh, he brought his own for, his own like temple with him uh but unfortunately okay. neither of us got our best painted dreams um uh, but we did get to play each other in the final um but it, it was just really fun. Um, it was a really good grand clash. I'd highly recommend people going. I mean, the problem is they the reason it's so cheap is because they know people spend so much getting to Perth. So that's mm-hmm. why it's the cheapest grand clash because it's only a tenner, which is about I don't know eight or nine dollars. Um, right. I don't know how much grand clashes are for you there because for us it's twenty five pounds for a single day and two day grand clash. Um, um. I want to say usually about twenty dollars 
for the event itself, but because yeah. a lot of these are nested in other events, it might be another 40, like I think Nova, for example, um, is $40 just to go to Nova and then 20 for the Underworlds event, which Nova is a four day event. So that totally well, makes sense. Um, so. For like UK Games Expo, they include it in the price. So if you just go for one day in the Grand Clash, sure. uh, I think Grand Clash is like a tenner, and this no, oh, it's fifteen, and the Saturday ticket is ten quid, so it adds up to the same. Um, mm. So generally, it's really cheap, but they know because we spend a lot getting there. Uh, but it was still really, really fun. Um, just yeah. the minor hiccup with the tournament software, but it was just really smooth. I mean, I actually like Tabletop TO. Uh, until I found out it doesn't do draws. Uh, the annoying thing, it's just very difficult to upload your faction, but mm. it does do breakdown stats, but it's just... Um, I know it's really good for other gaming systems, but for Underworlds, yeah. it's like, get that shit together, because that was, that was a joke. <laughs> honestly. Like, yeah, we um, may need to reach out to them and see if they can implement some more options or something, because it does seem like a... I do like the way that they display the results and it seems like they have options for stats if they had the factions in there and things like that it could be really good there's also a few other alternatives like bcp or um underworld's deckers has a pretty good um tournament thing as well so but i'm sure everybody has their favorite yeah because i know tabletop to is used in a lot of systems and the main problem we have with best coast parents here is that when it crashes it usually crashes and deletes the event um, so it's nice that with tabletop TO, it makes a hard copy for the TO automatically. Yeah. So if something goes wrong, they can just check the hard copy. Um, yeah, I definitely understand yeah. that. But overall, the event was really fun again, really tough. Because um, even though it was only 28 players, it was a lot of high quality players. And uh, I like to say Scotland is still a really, really tough place to play because the people don't. They, people can't travel too much, uh, mm-hmm. but the people who play there are like really, really high skilled. Like, it, it's uh, it's just unfortunate that it, it's more like a FFG dominated area because everyone is usually more into X Wing and stuff, but mm-hmm. oh, Star Wars stuff. But Underworld is gaining gaining pace there, cool. gaining ground. Um, but yeah, it's it's still a really it's like a tough elite tournament. Um, but it was a nice way to close out. Night Vault, because this should be, I think it's the last ever one day Grand Clash, or at least Grand Clash format. Well, old format anyway. Yeah, it might be. It might so be. It's to at least potentially close it out that way. Because so, um, now I'm on three Grand Clash wins, and <laughs> uh, well, yeah. first person to win three Grand Clashes, and the first person to successfully defend a Grand Clash title. So, yeah, that is really cool. What would you what would you say is next for you as uh, as the next season develops? Well, next is Warhammer Worlds uh, October Beastgrave Grand Clash, which is mm-hmm. the same time as SoCal, I think. Yep. Uh, think but because so. of time zones, uh, it's technically going to be the first Beastgrave Grand Clash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And then I think two weeks after, oh, let me check. Uh, a week or two after, I'll be at Blood and Glory. The tickets are up, but they haven't done anything for Underworlds yet, but they should be hosting the Grand Clash. So I'll definitely be going there to defend my second Grand Clash title. <laughs> uh, okay. Are you going to so, probably try to keep up with all the new warbands and 
win with all of those as well, or are you going to focus more on the larger events? Uh, I don't know, because um, the problem I had with winning with all the warbands was it was a tough experience, um, mm -hmm. but I didn't like the way it made me approach the game, because it helped me, like, um, the only reason I'm so good at playing hold objectives now is because um, I learned, I had to learn how to play hold objectives to win with Eyes of the Nine. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it learned me, it helped me learn a lot of things about the game and how warbands operate and how players operate in the scene. But I didn't like the way it made me look at tournaments because I was like, I had to go to tournaments that were reasonable. Like if it was a 30 player <laughs> tournament, I would go, well, with Eyes of the Nine, yeah, sure, right, I could just right. touch and get it smashed. Because uh, it's annoying, you had to go, I had to play tactically with where I was going to play, cause, but any, everywhere was good. But it's like you didn't want <laughs> someone with like five rounds because True. Uh, you don't actually get much time into play anymore. So every deck that people saw me use or win with was just something I built and then went straight to playing at the tournament because uh, I don't get much practice time at the moment. And it was just, it was annoying yeah. going into a tournament going, well, if I don't win this, I'm stuck with this warband again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know that happened a little bit on Reavers and a little bit on uh, Eyes, I think, right? Uh, Eyes, actually, I only used that two tournaments. I used them once, okay. lost, uh, went back to the drawing board, um, and then I got a lot of help from my friends uh, with how to play them in that specific way and then surprised everyone. Because uh, mm -hmm. another thing is everyone knows me for playing aggro. So right. they really sh the what won me was with Eyes of the Nine was sitting back going on to objectives because everyone expected me to rush them down. Yeah. And it's the same thing with um, Thorns, because everyone thought I was just going to rush them. So when I surrounded them and didn't attack, they were like, what, what the fuck? So it was just like <laughs> confusing people, playing against people's expectations. Um, but it's, I just enjoy sticking with the Warband. I'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm most likely going to do it again, but I'm, it's not something I'll probably pursue um, yeah. as fervently. Because uh, it's, it's <laughs> another reason I did it was just to rein myself in because uh when i was rolling around with spike claw swarm before the restricted list it was literally um too good as right. uh was taking it to store tournaments and i was playing people you know being playing with their friends and then i had my like completely honed tournament deck that i knew, knew inside yeah. and out knew how to play and just uh took people apart right uh and that's it something that like we've the, talked about on this podcast, actually, is it's important that you be aware of what the expectations of your group is and that you be aware of like how you're perceived. Because <laughs> if you're just yeah, stomping yeah. your local meta and just like farming trophies, then you're not really like a part of the community as well as you could be. Um, and that's important, you know. So. Yeah, because I think an important thing is um, like giving back, you know. Oh yeah, because what uh, a problem I have is uh, when I go to a tournament, if people know I'm going before, they would just not go. Uh, there was one time where I booked into this tournament and no one was really gonna go, uh, and then I had to I got switched off of work because I requested it off, but then they had given me so I couldn't go. Uh, yeah. And then everyone, it went from zero to 12 people. And on the day, it got 20. Um, so I was very self-conscious of my effect on the tournament scene. But then once people realized 
um, that I wasn't just trying to win with one warband anymore, and that I was trying to win with everything. They mm-hmm. weren't too intimid. Well, they were still intimidated, but they weren't. <laughs> where, like, I'm not going to go to this tournament because he's going. Uh, it sure. did get a bit annoying when people figured out why I had left and were trying to counterpick me. <laughs> um, like, when I was locked into Reaver, not Reavers, um, Godsworn, it, it got very difficult. Because um, there were some people who were just running warbands just to beat mine, and I was just like, it's, it's like literally the counter warband to beat Godsworn. <laughs> and I was just like, what? It's like, I did end up beating some of them, but it was just very frustrating to play against. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's <laughs> yeah, but I think it's I'll, I'll probably take my time on it next time. But uh, it's probably something sure. I'll still do. But I'll just enjoy playing one warband for now. Yeah, and I'm sure you'll want to play the new stuff as it comes out. And at least now that you're there, it's not like you have to play catch up. Because I think when you started the project, as it were, um, there were all, there were already like ten or twelve warbands like about to come out if they were not already. Yeah, when I well, originally when I started it, um, I had one with Spike Claw Swarm, Steel Hearts Champions, and the Fast Riders. Then right. I didn't really I would Spike Guard and then just like failed several times. I just stopped. Uh, yeah. So when I started properly after the banner restricted list, it took me 11 months to win with the 13 remaining warbands. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a lot considering uh, there's been eight per season. Um, so it's cool. quite intense, uh, but it's not too bad at the moment. So Cool. Um, we did have one more question from a listener. Actually, it's from Michael Carlin, who you played at the event. Um, and he, he, of course, runs Steel City Underworlds, that blog. Um, and his question was, um, he says that you've mentioned previously, I think in a blog post, um, that you were getting burnt out on Shadespire, and he just wanted to know if that was just a passing thing, or if you still feel that way, or... And I guess I would sort of wonder, what do you do to keep the game fresh? So, all those combined. <laughs> so I did... Uh, after winning with all the warbands, I did burn out. Uh, sure. And it, it's like... The, winning with all the warbands was what was keeping me to play. Um because I'd spoken to Jay Claire and I was like, I've won a Grand Clash. Uh, I'm not sure what else to do. And he's like, I'll just do what I do. Just win with every warband. Because people <laughs> know you can win with this warband, but they're more interested to see how you approach the game with everything else. Um, yeah. But then you get burnt out trying to win with every warband. Um, so now I try and alternate. Uh, so what helped was during Grand Clash season... I played Age of Sigmar uh, at the Heat because I play every year. Didn't t- do too well, um, mm-hmm. but it was enough just to give me a quick refresh. Uh, but now I'm also alternating it between other games. So I've picked up Adeptus Titanicus, uh, which okay. I'm really enjoying. Uh, but I find just taking a break and playing other games helps. Because uh, since I've won with all the Warbands, I've only been to two tournaments because they were in London um, and they were just before uh, Scottish GT, uh, Scottish Grand Clash. Yeah. So they were, they were good practice. But because I rarely play Underworlds now, I play it like once a week, <laughs> sometimes once every two weeks. Uh, and I find it's better if you're not constantly playing it. So even before the Grand Clash, 
I'd last had a game um, the weekend before. So I hadn't played for seven days before the Grand Clash. Sure. Um, so it's just because it's so busy. It's like I find if you invest <laughs> too much into it, the game becomes your life. Like especially with the blog and everything, it's very overwhelming. Um, yeah. So like I spent the two weeks off because I was supposed to go to another tournament, which I won't mention, uh, but that messed up. So I just used that time just to basically relax and play video games and just de-stress because yeah. uh, it takes a lot out traveling to tournaments uh writing blog posts so it's just yeah my advice is do what it takes to relax and stay away from the game for a bit or like cut down how much you play because yeah. uh, i find you get to a point where you know the game really well so then it comes down to you don't need to play inside and out you just need to play now and again and make sure you're having fun right yeah, it's kind of like, I think about it kind of like um, if you're like cramming for a test or something the night before the test and you stay up way too late, like you're probably going to make yourself worse than if you just, you know, spread it out and then maybe take a break the day before, you know, really let it soak in. Because so. I was speaking about this on the Battle for Salvation, guys. I was like, uh, generally, you should learn the matchup. You should know the matchups and how your warband works already. If you're cramming in to practice, it probably means you're not prepared. So you just might as well just accept it and go with the flow. Sure. Because uh, even though I had all the theory for every warband, I know what to do against every warband with this. I'd only sure. played about half of the warbands. So I was like, uh, especially with Gits, I was learning the matchup as I played. So it's it's just going with the flow. It was just try not put too much pressure on yourself and just relax. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's probably one of the most important things. Um, because if you start, you know, freaking out or you you over prepare and then you don't sleep enough and then something unexpected happens and you, then you'll just start making more mistakes. And um, I'm sure a lot of that comes with experience as well, just going to events and being under those high pressure situations over and over again yeah i think the the best thing i do before every grand clash is um i just want well, like usually i'm traveling to a grand clash so i just spend the day before just relaxing uh and just chilling out so like for the scottish grand clash uh the train was quite long about eight hours but um, oh, wow. uh after that i just walked around perth for a bit bought my dinner and just relaxed at my hostel um, for the Warhammer World Grand Clash in July, where I finished fourth on day one and then 13th overall. The day before, I got in a little, well, my train was delayed again, but I got in early-ish, and I just went to the cinema in Nottingham and just relaxed and saw my friend, and then just went to bed. Uh, it's just like, I think you really need, to, I think people underestimate the importance of resting, because uh, you play a lot better once you're rested, instead of trying to cram in games the night before. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense. And, you know, you've got the wins to prove it, so <laughs> it must yeah. work. To relax, this is just like, yeah, yeah, trying to cram for an exam, basically, but with dice. <laughs> right. Cool. Well, I think that that um, about covers it. Is there anything else you wanted to mention or any asks of the listeners or anything at all? Uh -huh. Anything uh, to look out for on the blog? Well, I'll be doing uh, a three-part article, uh, so I'll be posting... I've already written one part one up, so it's... Uh, 
I'll be posting the deck guide Monday, and then I'll be going through uh, how I did with the warband at the two tournaments, which were my practice, and then how I went at the Grand Clash in depth. Because uh, I think in the article, well, the good thing I can use this as reference as well for talking about how the deck works. <laughs> sure. um, but it's the the text base should be quite detailed, but because it's a very complex deck, so you can try using it. But I don't know if people will, because it's basically built for me. Like it's uh, it's the same with my Spike Claw Swarm, because people um, just couldn't use it because they didn't really understand how it properly worked. Because it's it's not just the deck; it's how you position and place the fighters. Sure. Um, but yeah. That should be coming out soon, which people should find helpful. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the episode. It was a great conversation. I think people will enjoy it. Oh, that's, that's okay. Thanks for having me. It's been it's been great being on because uh, we have a, it's just yeah my schedule is terrible. So <laughs> it's, it's nice to finally be on. It's just a shame yeah. Aman wasn't here. I know. I, I know. He's probably. Actually, I think it's like a three or four hour flight. I'm not sure. I'm going to stop the recording. All right. And that is it for the conversation with John Wynn-Reese. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah, I really hope you guys enjoyed it, too. It was really interesting to get his insight on just his competitive nature, the way he built the deck, and, and kind of how he played everything, which is it's a really unique deck. And uh, thank you, John, for being on our or being interviewed by uh, Jonathan. Did you have fun yeah. doing it, Jonathan? Yeah, it was great talking to John, and uh, I think there's just a lot to learn there, and uh, hopefully we'll have him on again sometime. All righty, everyone. Well, I think that's it for this episode. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, as well as give us a thumbs up on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Uh, please leave us a review if you can. Um, I heard those are great, and uh, thank you so much, and best of luck on your path to glory. Nice.